Welcome to Blockchain Recorded, the podcast for the tech curious, where we talk about anything and everything related to the exponentially evolving crypto, blockchain, and Web 3.0 space. Our mission is simple, to share knowledge, facilitate discourse, and help evolve education in blockchain fundamentals, decentralization solutions, and relevant use cases for today's digital economy. We at Blockchain Recorded are not registered investment advisors and do not deal with financial or trading token elements, nor offer any licensed financial services. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, while the opinions of all parties involved are their own. I'm your host, Nina Tserar, and now let's talk blockchain. Before I introduce our guest today, I'd like to remind everyone to follow us on X, Recorded Podcast, where we pre-stream each episode on Spaces, the day before distribution to all major podcast platforms. For the full platform list, visit our website, blockchainrecorded.com. With us today, we have Vijay Lakshminarayan, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, the founder, CEO, and lead developer at Vcred. Uh, Vijay, welcome to Blockchain Recorded. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Vijay has been in the Web3 space since 2019, from building prototypes and hackathons to leading a DeFi startup, uh, which obviously we'll talk about today. He is also a lead developer with more than a decade of experience in software development for trading automotive applications with focus on machine learning. Vijay, you have quite an extensive background from the research that I've read. I understand with all your background, you fell into the rabbit hole of blockchain. How did it happen? Oh, it's a long story. So, well, we have time. <laughs> Everybody gets the question. Yeah. So basically, like my experience, uh, and as you mentioned in the podcast, like uh, we are working on, uh, I was working on like building software for automotive applications, and in general, from firmware all the way down at the base layer to the top application layer. That was going in parallel. And during that time, around 2019, uh, when I was first started looking at BTC, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on, like I was just really curious as to like how easy it was to trade, mm -hmm. how easy it was to like, you know, go ahead and go purchase something. This is something magical, which has some kind of a value attached to it. So that got me really interested. And then I listened to some uh, lectures uh, from uh, um, Andreas Atronopoulos on Bitcoin, uh, Vitalik from Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like inspired because till that point in time, it was almost like uh, I thought of like, you know, the concepts, the abstract concepts of money, the abstract concepts of, you know, like, uh, you know, getting something out of uh, from that money for value. Mm -hmm. All those things were like, uh, you know, like something which I took for granted. But these uh, insights completely changed my, you know, my attitude and my thinking and how I value and how I view uh, assets and uh, liabilities and all that. So that's when I started, uh, you know, using my software expertise to like sort of, uh, you know, try to just figure out trading and uh, try to see like, and it was almost magical the first time when I clicked the button and, uh, you know, right. it just like, right. I could just like, you know, uh, you know, execute a trade online with someone. And that's, that's how I just got into this rabbit hole, I guess. And then like, I started participating in hackathons, uh, started building prototypes and uh, started doing like, you know, basic arbitrage and then it just went on and on and like uh, suddenly i realized like you know i was just uh, deep in the rabbit hole 
Yeah, once you get sucked in, it's pretty hard to, uh, you can't, you can never look back and walk away, I almost feel like for, for most of us. But I found it interesting because you have this, the background with um, software development, and you actually were interested in the trading part. You mentioned, and you also mentioned. Well, I'm a, I'm an ex finance person, so assets liabilities. I'm just curious, what triggered you to think of it in that way? So maybe this is a little bit off topic, but in general, right? When you look at uh, when you go to a bank or when you try to get like a loan, you just you know you're so used to like filling out all these documents, or when you're like uh, having like so let's say mm-hmm. something, you go to a shop and they say this is priced at say thirty two dollars or. 32 pounds or euros and Mm -hmm. you just accept that and you just look at that at face value but what i realized is like you know once crypto assets like bitcoin ethereum and all that came about and then like you had all these other tokens everything coming about what you then realized is oh okay so you could have any of this and then then you think what is fundamentally money like what is fiat uh Oh, so some government says this and then this is money. Ah, but it's backed by gold. Mm-hmm. And then like I, I was just actually reading about economy and, uh, you know, reading about like, you know, how exactly did they do it? And and then uh, there was this interesting concept of like, uh, I was reading about an agricultural article, which is saying like, you know, how basic arbitrage, I'll go into arbitrage later, but uh, about how it was done, like you had like a bushel of uh, cotton, for example, which was sold somewhere mm-hmm. and this place was like thousands of miles from another place. And so each person could charge a different value for the same bushel of cotton, for example. Or uh, this could be like, you know, uh, like food, like rice, for example, like rice at one place mm-hmm. could be charged at a different price than rice at another place, even though it's exactly the same. And probably they can charge more. And then like, I was like, then it got me thinking like, you know, why is this different? Why is that different? And right. that's why... I got really interested in trading and uh, financial applications as well. But fundamentally, my focus is like like writing code. There is actually a saying like, you know, when people ask, uh, you know, ah, uh, how do people magically create value? And uh, like there is an interesting definition for a software engineer. Like that's what we do. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what we do is sometimes actually like uh, magic. But uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought we could use it in trading. I would yeah. actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes with what you guys do is, is sounds like magic <laughs> to me. It lo- looks like it. <laughs> Very interesting. So, so what motivated you to start Vcred? So first of all, Vcred means like virtual credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why, that's how we short form written Vcred. So around 2020, 2021, I participated in hackathons and, uh, Hackathons are another way where like uh, you go out there and you just, uh, you know, code or you just like, uh, you know, meet uh, either random people or like, you know, bounce some ideas, start building something and over like a really short duration, like say a week or something, you build something. And that's normally like a crude prototype, which uh, which is like, you know, more capability that this particular concept is uh, useful or, uh, you know, which can be, you know, scaled and so on. Mm-hmm. So with that, I participated in several hackathons and one of the hackathons I participated around the end of 2021 uh, organized by the Encode Club. In that, uh, I what I built was like one of an early flash loan and a flash loan is uh, something where like you can, uh, uh, you're trying to like, you know, deposit uh, one, you borrow one asset over a short duration and then you deposit into another place and you try to do something and then you borrow that back and then you deposit here and it's like you do that over like an extremely short duration 
so for a really short duration you're like a sort of like a millionaire like a virtual millionaire let's say <laughs> so anyway this uh, i tried to do that and i built like a full full stack prototype in the sense by full stack meaning like you know i did like a really crude website and like you know did the back end as well and then did the actual transaction and this got the attention of uh, some of our early investors and uh, uh, also the avalanche blockchain as well and they invested in us and with that like i I went out there it was just me building it at scratch initially and then I used that to build uh, a team and so on and what what was the motivation for doing this uh, it's basically like what I found is when when you talk about complex concepts like trading uh, market making and so on within defi uh, what we what what I realized is like there is a lot of repetitive action mm-hmm. there's a barrier to entry first of all for uh, retail users and for other users that's one aspect the second aspect is a lot of the actions are repetitive and then the third aspect is you know the complexity is not abstracted away users are required to understand a bit more in detail and this goes back to the example uh, where like you know when people were building the early phones for example like in the early cell phones all you need to know is you know you needed to know like you know when i press this is so the mms is sent like right now you don't even know the difference between like say a message uh, attaching a video and all that but whereas in the past mm-hmm. there was actually even a difference between a s- simple message and uh, like you know a media message and attaching a video and all of that so right. whenever you are an early adopter uh, you need to know actually like a lot of details of the tech stack to even use it but as you go further and further away yeah all you need to know is like i press something and something happens mm-hmm. like let's say we do a facetime video call we don't even know like how exactly the facetime video call is happening and synchronously and all that so it's similar in defi as well like we we want people to be abstracted away from all these uh, technical complexities and so to do that we need to build like some level of an application layer on top of the like the blockchain itself is like the base layer then we need to build the application layer and on top of the application layer you can build like other stuff and that's what we wanted to do with vcred and that was my motivation and i wanted to build this application layer so you're tackling a solution within defi and before actually we dive into because there's i There's going to be some terminology that perhaps maybe our audience is is not familiar with because it does run into the the concepts of trading and arbitrage etc. Maybe I should ask you this question first. Is anyone else doing what you're doing that you know of? Uh there are uh like how are you different than maybe other some of the other projects that are are is there anyone tackling the same solution that you are? So this is actually a slightly philosophical question in the sense like uh, everyone uh, in the defi space is tackling a similar set of problems but there are not many projects which are exactly tackling what what we are trying to do like the, it's sort of like a niche in the sense uh, that we are uh, using machine learning and ai on the one side and then also we are uh, trying to abstract away uh, the automation part and so on so maybe i can try to explain the terminology first and then uh, that will tell you like you yeah. know which exact aspect let's do that let's do that that would yeah. be great so the first part would be uh, the first part of the terminology would be liquidity so mm-hmm. maybe we can go through the basics on uh, what exactly is liquidity so if you look at uh, let's say an asset let's take for example something as simple as a juice bottle right say the juice bottle is priced at say $1 in the open market mm-hmm. and you have like 
millions of people who are willing to buy it at that particular price and millions of people are trying to sell it at that particular price and that's something which is very very like a liquid essentially like a liquid commodity but if you take something like a painting let's say something drawn by picasso right that is priced maybe let's say 2 million dollars for example there might not be a lot of buyers and there might not be a lot of sellers and imagine if uh, for some reason there is uh, you know someone finds something bad about uh, picasso or some there is some reputational damage whatever and suddenly there are a lot of people wanting to buy it 500 dollars or something like that like the price simply crashes just as an example and you have two buyers at like say 0.800k and 750k like they want to buy at that price mm-hmm. but then there is a lot of these buyers at 500 dollars and then the sellers start panicking and then the buyers start dropping and then it just crashes so that's the other side now what exactly is the fundamental thing which is happening here that's liquidity mm-hmm. so when you have like a very very liquid market what it means is like you have lots of people who are like you know buying lots of people are selling the asset itself is you know virtually backed by all these uh, liquidity as they call it the cash cash flow which is coming in both sides so this is like a fundamental problem in uh, defi in general if you look at the price action um, which is going on with bitcoin and so on right this is this what is happening in the sense like you're not having like millions of buyers and millions of sellers and this is not going to change because if you look at fiat like uh, dollars and so on right like there you're going to have like billions of people like buying and selling at both sides mm-hmm. so obviously you cannot compete with that and uh, that will take time to adopt and it's also not a competition because this is a completely different class this is an asset class and not uh, that so that to give you is like a very uh, like a broad overview of liquidity in general so liquidity low liquidity so what what's the takeaway from this low liquidity means you're going to have extremely high volatility um, you're going to have like massive price changes liquidity also uh, makes that uh, slippage in the sense like when you want to sell let's say like the, going back to the painting example if you want to sell let's say uh, $800,000 like if you are at 1 million and then you you suddenly get one buyer who says like you know 800k you immediately want to sell because you know that there are not too many people below that price who want to buy from that this is the slippage aspect of it and then you have like very low slippage uh, it means that uh, sellers and buyers they trust like you know whenever i sell it's going to sell but when you have high slippage obviously you're going to have a much bigger price impact and so this also affects how you are going to sell so the whole uh, part this is the first uh, mm-hmm. shall we say a uh, cornerstone of uh, defi and then the next part we talk about is arbitrage so arbitrage essentially is uh, looking at price inefficiencies across different exchanges so when uh, when i was first building like the prototype right uh, at a hackathon and this is what i was trying to build on like looking at different exchanges mm-hmm. having a price uh, looking at the price difference between different exchanges and using this uh, virtual like flash loan part to borrow from one at that particular price and then sell it at another place and then borrow from the other sell it at another place and then just uh, use that arbitrage opportunity to generate reward so this is actually uh, maybe i can just go a little bit more in detail if you want about the arbitrage sure sure yeah, i'm i'm actually fascinated by it <laughs> so <laughs> cool cool so like this is going back to the you know the roots of like you know like uh, 
cotton rice the commodities part right right yes so whenever you have let's say commodity a which is uh, at a certain price in a certain place or a certain point in time in a certain space somewhere and then you have the same commodity a but in a different place your the goal should be like both places should have the same price because the buyer and the seller has the same amount of information about the commodity mm-hmm. so they should have it at the same price they should but this never happens no <laughs> yeah <laughs> right right <laughs> and this is what uh, arbitrage tries to do like there is a cost of the transaction itself so that should be the maximum price difference but what you will find is there is a tremendous amount of price difference and there was one interesting example like uh, like one of the times when um, there was a, uh, like a country was like banning like a uh, bitcoin in one of the places and then the bitcoin price at that particular thing was like you know 40000 or something like that or 35000 dollars and then the other place was like 45 50000 dollars and then such a large but then people saw that and they were like ah maybe i could just buy here and sell here but then what they failed to realize is the cost of the transaction would be so much higher than actually buying and selling here so much higher so that's just to give you an overview of uh, arbitrage in general like uh, the goal is uh, to try to you know minimize the price inefficiency but at the same time making sure that you don't lose too much money in the process of actually doing that yeah that's the part and then the next point what i wanted to really go through is uh, vault and uh, you know lending and borrowing in general so i'm sorry it's turning out to be like a finance class or something <laughs> No no, it's fine. It's fine because I think it's good to delineate um some of these uh fundamentals which will essentially set the stage for the relevance in in Vcred, right? Yeah. So a vault uh is again like an old uh you know like a bank or a traditional finance term. Uh basically what you do is like you have a place where you can deposit a certain amount of tokens or assets or whatever. and then user can either deposit some collateral and borrow some of these assets and use that to perform whatever you know trading arbitrage etc and then he can deposit that back into that particular vault and repay the loan essentially so this is like a really basic concept of a vault you could use this vault to you know solve some of the problem you know like you could use it to you know make sure that the arbitrage is efficient uh, liquidity and so on and for that you have like you have to pay pay like an interest for that guy because uh, that particular person from whom you have borrowed it from and so on and this interest rate mechanism depends on something like utilization so let's say you have deposited uh, $100 into a vault and the vault already has like say $1000 and then on the other side someone is borrowing from that vault $50 now this 50 dollars when he borrows it there is still so much more money left the utilization is rate is really low so he should pay a lesser amount of interest because he's taking only such a small amount of capital from that whereas imagine if uh, the vault is almost full at 950 dollars and then the last 50 dollars when you're borrowing from that the vault is pretty much close to full so he would have to pay like a slightly higher uh, interest rate so this is like the basic mechanism of uh, utilization rate and how it affects the interest rate now this part is abstracted away for you when you are doing in traditional finance in the banks and so on because you're talking about you know like billions of dollars uh, or billions of pounds or euros in that uh, particular uh, exchange or uh, bank and so on so you don't even think about it 
that is over here you have to think about it because you know the liquidity is quite low and uh, so on so there is an impact and uh, this mechanism has to be clear like in terms of how the interest rates are calculated and all that now you could incentivize this interest rates with tokens and so on but that's another uh, big uh, you know discussion but there now you get like a gist of what vaults are yes then the last part is exchanges so we have all these mechanics so we have the vaults we have uh, arbitrage we have uh, you know we have liquidity which is out there yes now we have an exchange so an exchange is so, uh, like a marketplace where you're going out there and you you have like an asset you have an asset a which you want to buy assuming you have some uh, you know fiat or dollars or usdc and so on stable coins use that to buy that asset and then you go sell that asset as a you know as a seller you want to go sell that obviously there are two ways of doing it like one you could uh, go just offer it in a decentralized exchange or you could go do that in a centralized exchange so an exchange how that does is like uh, like going back to the example you're going to have like different people bidding and uh, bidding at a certain prices and then there are other on the other side you have a p- counterparty who is trying to ask there is a, you know like buy at that price and so on so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, that is essentially a marketplace and you might have heard of like you know binance or other centralized exchanges so centralized exchanges what they tend to do is like they have like a, a centralized order book i'll go to that but basically you have a place like a ledger where you're storing all that information in a database and using that to match it the amount itself is held in these vaults but these vaults are centralized as in like the user doesn't you know have the private keys so the user doesn't go in like he can't just withdraw mm-hmm. he has to send a withdrawal request and then right. the exchange then matches that information on the private key with that address and then sends it amount back so the exchange controls all the assets the exchange also controls the database right centralized ones yeah. yes in a decentralized uh, club for example what you have so there is two aspects one is the decentralized uh, exchange as in like a dex like uniswap for example where in uniswap what you have is uh, you have you know nobody has uh, you know any idea what is going on so you have a buyer and a seller coming in a buyer wants to buy an asset mm-hmm. he sets the price he goes into a pool and he swaps it and then this, there are like some uh, xyz seller he has that asset he then swaps that that's it like no one uh, has any understanding so this is how that works but the problem with that is you don't have like an order book mechanism like uh, you you don't have you know you want to buy it at that price you don't have that kind of an interface there is still of course uh, you know concentrated liquidity market makers which try to bridge the gap mm-hmm. then you have a centralized limit order book exchange where what you have is a set of buys and sells which are placed mm-hmm. you still have a ledger like functionality but the key differences everything is in a smart contract so users can withdraw their own capital whenever they want they deposit uh, into the vault and then from that vault they then uh, you know place a buy or place a sell so that's the centralized limit order book exchange um this was a uh, thanks for all this this sort of intro to to the key terminology <laughs> um that's i think it's actually important to understand and it's i think it's okay that we that we took a few steps back because now we get to how where does vcred come in and if i may i noticed a quote on your website um i'm i'm actually going to read it off because i'd like 
if you don't mind, then take the next step. If you wouldn't mind taking the next step and maybe explain, because <laughs> now we're adding a little bit more uh, meaning to this. <laughs> so your website states a liquidity layer on top of, you, you call it, uh, well, CLOBs, CLOBs, using AI engine, enabling anyone to supply liquidity and leverage complex market making strategies. So how would you explain this to maybe an average person? Got it. So uh, now that I explained uh, the previous concepts, right? And uh, this is where, yes. you know, going back to the question, what you asked about how is WeCred different from other uh, DeFi projects? So yeah. this is essentially our uh, differentiator. Uh, I hope I've set the stage so that you can get that uh Difference. The AI. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So <laughs> Absolutely. That's the quote. Um, yeah. So what are we trying to do? So first step, like I explained, the centralized limit order book exchanges or centralized limit order books where you have on the one side, you have uh, an order book with buys and sells yes. being there and then which is connected to a smart contract and so on. Mm-hmm. So first thing is these exchanges, it's not as big as Binance or any of their big centralized exchanges, right? So they are still in the early stages, so they will not have enough liquidity. So they will have some volume, some liquidity, but not enough uh, to supply a large range of assets. That's the first problem what they are facing. Then the next problem, uh, what they would face is uh, to have enough uh, you know, activity, in the sense like uh, enough uh, users coming in uh, who can like you know go access that because there's still going to be some complexity in accessing that uh, that uh, even if the ux is simple on the other side anyone who wants to get access to say market making or uh, you know taking and so on like you know these are complex strategies so uh, maybe like uh, like how i explained about uh, how how you want to like go ahead and uh, for example like the painting example like where you have you know, one uh, buyer at 800,000, another buyer at say 700,000, when the painting itself was like 1 million. What you want to do is, uh, as a market maker, you want to like make sure that uh, you supply enough uh, liquidity at different sites so that you sort of soften the blow for him when something like, you know, when someone says Picasso is bad and then the, you know, the price drops to $500, for example. But then at the other end, you will not have uh, enough uh, liquidity. So you want to have like some sort of like a mechanism where you make it make this process more efficient. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you know, uh, what's the difference between a complex market making strategy and just like, you know, something regular like a like an insurance company where you're just trying to hedge both sides. Sure. You can argue that. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's where the machine learning parts. So if someone asks me on the street, like, you know, what exactly, like, what exactly we do? So what we are doing is we are using AI to provide like a liquidity layer, like an application layer, mm-hmm. which will just be on top of uh, all DeFi protocols, uh, which are, um, you know, centralized limit order book exchanges, so that users can have access to any centralized limit order book exchange, any asset where they supply liquidity so they get benefits from these uh, limit order book exchanges. And in return, they get some sort of a risk adjusted reward. So they will have some risk because they are uh, staking into these early exchanges. So the exchange itself might have an issue or our contracts might have an issue, any of those issues. But in return, what they get is to be a part of uh, the this early stage, this early revolution, what is happening. Mm-hmm. So why are the exchanges like sort of incentivizing them? Because everyone in this, this is more like a, a market where 
like uh, compared to the bigger centralized exchanges the smaller exchanges do not get enough traffic enough traction enough volume and so that's one major thing so you you get to be a part of that early revolution as well mm-hmm. and the second thing what we are trying to do is with this kind of a liquidity layer users get to participate and be their own market maker like their own uh, kind of a strategy and mm-hmm. in a sense what we have is like a two sided marketplace so on the one side of the market uh, what we are trying to do is we are trying to make sure that the centralized limit order book exchanges and protocols they get to have uh, a lot of uh, initial growth and then on the other side we have uh, the users who are able to get access to these exchanges where yes they can go and they can trade on their own they can do all that but instead if they want to do like something where you know they don't have the time to deploy complex strategies like they don't want to go out there write their own code they can then use our vaults or if they are developers they can harness some of our strategies and build something even more complex on top mm-hmm. that's that's what we offer like on both sides of the marketplace and that's the liquidity layer this ai liquidity layer i read your medium article this is something that you developed in house yes exactly this is something that you developed yeah or with together with your team yeah and so how does it then fit in i i understand conceptually how um how it fits in but how does it do how did you program it to do all that <laughs> this is this is like i mean this is like uh you know i'm a i'm a, this is where i'm a complete lay person and this is where you mentioned before the magic right <laughs> <laughs> i think just uh, automatically i think we have the psychological factor of ai i think we're still trying to understand w- what ai in this context really is but um what was your think how did you even go about coding this and just i i can't even i'm i'm trying to even formulate the right question because i just find it fascinating that someone can actually do that <laughs> <laughs> that you can develop your own a- ai uh liquidity layer yeah <laughs> i'll turn the table to you because yeah, um, no problem. <laughs> i'm not even sure how how to even you know w- what is this layer essentially how does it function yeah. like how does it fit it then in the picture got it, got it. so ai uh, aspect so basically like uh, like this goes back to my previous experience as well uh, several years back and by the way uh, seven or eight years back if you ask someone like uh, they would say they are working in neural networks mm-hmm. because that was the correct term right. so everyone used neural networks and uh, uh, like you know we thought ai was a marketing term you know okay cuz ultimately if you look at it uh, everything it's a form of statistics and uh, regularization and so on and then the layers of complexity grow up mm-hmm. so that's my first thing to you like in, like whenever people say ai you will have to dig a little bit deeper into what exactly they're using what kind of models they're using uh, are they actually like you know some projects uh, are like you know just a front end for chat gpt like they just use chat gpt model in the back end and all they do is put a wrapper on it mm-hmm. and this is where we differentiated uh, as well from other ai projects in general in that uh, of course we we didn't build then like different models from scratch obviously you have to use you have to build on uh, existing models but at the same time this has to fit and this has to be like a redesigned and redeveloped so that it uh, fits into what uh, works in the current market and so on so sorry if i may in- sorry if i may interject here because you you mentioned chatgpt right mm-hmm. i mean the ai in chatgpt still it has to feed from somewhere 
right? It has to feed from the, the, the information that is available and it feeds. So how does it then, how does then your, your model work? You said that it, it feeds through different models. Yep, yep, yep. This is where I, I, I get confused. Got it, got it. So if you look at ChatGPT and all that, that is a, a large language model. Right, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically that is just trying to get information based on text and all it's doing is it's trying to predict the next one. It's a mm-hmm. form of a transformer architecture. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at all these transformer architectures, right, like they it's just trying to predict, like given a sentence, like say if you're trying to say rabbit, for example, mm-hmm. it just knows that, okay, uh, the next word, uh, the next letter is R-A-B-B-I-T based on how the sentence is. And then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. based on the rabbit, it could be who framed Roger Rabbit, for example, like a movie name, or it could be that. Right, 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 right. And it ju- all it does is sentence completion and it just predicts. And mm-hmm. it's just incredible that just with that, you could ask any question and it's able to answer and so on. And it also makes a lot of intellectual leaps, which could be called hallucination. So that's uh, another thing, like, you know, how to say. So that's one uh, completely different layer. The problem is those kind of large language models cannot be directly utilized in anything financial directly, simply because let's just assume that you feed it the complete works of all the financial experts and then tell it to like, you know, mm-hmm. put like a liquidity layer for me. Or you can just, you know, write that in chat GPT, for example, like, you know, like a prompt, like, you know, I'll write like 100 prompts and try to get that. Mm-hmm. What you'll find is the code is completely unusable, mm. simply because it's just trying to see what has been done in the past, what has happened, you know, uh, from some of the previous data, and then you that. And there is like a saying, right? Uh, the future rhymes with the past, but it doesn't exactly follow the past. Yes. Uh, what we use in uh, financial circles. So mm-hmm. this is one of the major things. Like you cannot use uh, large language models directly. You will have to do a lot of uh, post-processing. And even with that, what you'll find is it's almost like uh, it breaks down to a series of if-then-else rules. That's one aspect. Then the next aspect is you can. there are a lot of trading bots available and uh, this way like I want to differentiate like a difference between like a bot and an agent. So a bot is something where uh, you just tell it like mindlessly like you know just go out there uh, buy something sell something when it hits a certain price and that's it. Right. That's, that's not what we want actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because that is something which is quite limiting and what we want is like an agent where we try to give it a little bit more authority. So it thinks a little bit. It says like, okay, if uh, this happens, then I have to do something. I have to do that. So the complexity builds up. So what we essentially, what we try to do when we are doing this is like use existing statistical research, build like uh, a time series model where, uh, you know, over a period of time, how things behave and so on. Mm -hmm. Then with that, try to like build our own agent. So these agents will go out there and they will perform, you know, whether it is trading, whether it is liquidity management and so on. Mm-hmm. They do that. And we combine all of that into this liquidity layer. Um, are you are you working or getting also, I don't know, feedback or, or interaction with actual, for example, arbitrage traders? Because what you're explaining, this, this entire concept is, and I, if I'm not mistaken, also on your website, it states that this is a potential disruptor to the human to the human form of trading right do you get any uh feedback on on 
I mean, would this scare somebody if it's like an AI thing or, or actually do they embrace it? Or have you gotten any feedback in, in this in this sense? No, because uh, I think uh, this is where like uh, there is this uh, kind of like uh, AI fear comes in and all that. Yes. I think we are a long way away. Yeah. Because there's also good AI, of course. Yeah, it's not going to like, uh, like I'm firmly of the opinion like this is not going to replace uh, humans. But what what will happen is like, uh, you know, a human with this tool mm-hmm. will have, like they say, the human with this tool will actually be way ahead of others. It's almost like uh, when Excel was first discovered, uh, like when Excel was first invented, right? Like a person who is trained in Excel uh, will be like way better than others and like he will push far ahead. So mm-hmm. uh, users using this vault, for example, or users who are uh, deploying these strategies or, you know, deploying that they will have a much higher head start. And also the other side, the clops you're using it, they will have a higher head start. So that's what it is. It's more like an amplifier. It's more like an amplifier. That's actually a a good term to use. But then what happens when everybody starts using this? (laughs) Because Excel Excel didn't like, uh, you know, start reinventing itself. You know, then when you say that you have these, you know, smart, uh, this smart AI layer, and what if everybody's using this? Where's it go? Where does it go from there? Oh, if uh, everybody is using it, uh, like I mean, I'll be like, uh, <laughs> that'll be incredible. Uh, I, I, I mean, I will be even happy, like even if, like, say, point one percent or one percent of uh, you know the customer base starts using it and then like doing that. But if everyone uses that, then like what that means is like uh, you know people will then innovate to the next level. And this is what happened, right? Like with uh, mm-hmm. phones in general, like what we are going back to that example, like uh, you have like first, like, you know, mm-hmm. build a modem, for example, like uh, and an antenna and then everyone uses the antenna. Mm-hmm. So the antenna goes down and then like people, uh, you know, forget about that. Then it goes to SMS and MMS. And then from there, it just keeps going on, like the layer layers of abstraction. And what you will end up happening is like uh, the user in the end, like all he does is like, you know, he presses a button and uh, this uh, this just, uh, you know, goes to the end. So maybe I'll try to explain about the how we characterize VCRED and then I can then go to the long term vision maybe and then. That was actually what I was going to get to next. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah, yeah exactly. Because you've explained the technicals and then what's what's the AI component. But what exactly then is VCRED? Exactly what you just said. What, how would you characterize it? Is it a protocol? Simple smart contract? Is it an AI backend, etc.? Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, because uh, this is also a question which uh, people ask in general, like whenever they look at uh, Web3 projects, like uh, they just either look at it as a dApp, like a decentralized app, mm-hmm. and they simply say, this is just a decentralized app or just a smart contract with some bit of a trading bot or something like that. But what they miss is like, what or what how we want to characterize it is, it's not just a simple smart contract or a backend, it's a, several things. Mm-hmm. So one of the key components of building like an AI liquidity layer or a model is data. What you need is data, not just from simple interactions between uh, one project to another project or one token to another token or one club, you need to collate all that information, use that information to build uh, like analysis and so on. So that's one part, the data part. So we call that like a data lake. Then the second part is you need to have an AI backend, which uh, looks at all this uh, part and like, you know, which abstracts away the strategies. So this is the whole thing is an AI strategy. 
then we have like a series of smart contracts where the users interact and where they can stake uh, where they can go into the world for example so finally all encompassing that uh, this is like a protocol where users can uh, not just users developers can come in they can build on top of the protocol so that's why it's almost like a like a combination of an infrastructure layer and uh, an application um and so avalanche is um is the team that approached you is this um, why was the decision to to build on avalanche oh then when we first started like what we are looking at is something which has uh, evm compatibility which is ethereum virtual mm-hmm. machine compatibility yes mm-hmm. and secondly somewhere where the technicals are sound and where like we can then go in and deploy mm-hmm. and also where there is like a good growth uh, trajectory in terms of like bringing like a more and more integration so those are also the reasons why we decided like we'll just go ahead and build on avalanche mm-hmm. so in terms of deployment yes we can actually deploy on any ethereum virtual machine compatible chain mm-hmm. uh, we can go ahead and deploy and also that's also our uh, strength uh, in terms of uh, the ai backend this can be integrated with any club mm-hmm. because that's our goal we want to be integrated with any club uh, out there but at the same time from a user perspective people are or and from a developer perspective developers and users are uh, quite uh, easy to use uh, evm so we need to make sure that they can just come in and uh, you know interact and that's why our first protocol where we will uh, try to launch will be in avalanche and that's also one of the main reasons but yeah we support as well any evm chain yeah okay so and where are you now in development uh so in terms of uh, development we have just uh, started like about two months back we were working with one of the club uh, hubble mm-hmm. so with hubble exchange we deployed and just uh, two days back we reached about uh, $140,000 in volume oh congratulations uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you thank you so there is still work to be done uh, mm-hmm. we need to scale and this just uh, the first start like the big stepping stone and we need to deploy in more and more uh, clubs and we need to like expand and just grow mm-hmm. that's our goal and as we grow we want to make sure that our implementation is more robust the execution part the execution layer uh, how we get the data and how it like you know keeps repeating and being consistent so that's our goal we also want to make sure that uh, the ai model itself is becoming more and more advanced mm-hmm. initially currently what we have deployed these are uh, shall we say more simpler models but we want to like make sure that uh, we have more complex models we have uh, vaults uh, which are going to be uh, accessible by the users as well we want to make sure that the ux part of it is improved we currently have uh, you know like a website where we can go and interact and do that mm-hmm. but we also want to make sure that uh, you know that's open only after uh, a lot more testing and a lot more audit mm-hmm. we're currently on this kind of a closed beta where users can come in and uh, you know like they they can just apply but we want to make it more like invite only we want to have like only like specific uh, developers so that we get uh, more uh, focused or feedback but anyone is free to join on our discord and uh, you know try to ask questions and try to like you know help us uh, in the journey um i just want to when you m- mentioned ai again um i i forgot to ask you uh, a question uh when i was reading the medium article what are alpha factors with respect to um 
you mentioned AI, your AI engine is done in-house. And then the, the article refers to these alpha factors. Oh, so this was actually uh, more uh, in terms of like alpha in general in, uh, in um, Web3 or trading uh, is basically you have like some insight on uh, some product because bear in mind that, uh, you know, one of the problems what anyone in trading faces is like they have to somehow predict the future. In no other occupation or no other discipline are you expected to predict the future and, uh, you know, your success or failure is determined by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so alpha is uh, your way of having some insight into the information asymmetry. So it's all about information. Like you have some information and, you know, something is going to happen. And AI, what you're trying to do using AI is you're trying to like sort of have like some idea uh, and this is what we call as like an alpha factor. Mm-hmm. When we have this insight and when we go ahead and say predict like in our time series, uh, or sorry, I mean, let me rephrase it. So we go ahead and we have an insight. And with that, the the trading model then makes uh, an execution. Then there is like a head start over, uh, let's say, someone who has no information at all and who just blindly goes and buys or sells. So that's that's sort of like a very rough explanation. I tried to make it really simple. Yeah, <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's uh, I'm trying to piece together the mosaic <laughs> of all the different components. Uh, but so, sorry, I sort of backtracked our conversation. Uh, you were talking about uh, sort of where you are now and what your milestones have been now and what you're doing. So, um, and of course, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit more about of course, of course. the whole AI vision and, and Vcred's vision. Um, but before, so just to sort of wrap up, you what you're what you're working on now and, and where you are in the process. So what are then sort of the core products that Vcred is currently focusing on? So our core product essentially is we have a two-sided marketplace. Yes. On the one side, what we are interested in is uh, centralized limit order book exchanges. Yes. Trading marketplaces who are, uh, you know, just uh, have just launched or just started Mm -hmm. and who need traction, who need liquidity, who are looking uh, to integrate with us and... uh, you know, make sure that you have access to our algorithmic uh, AI market making engine, mm-hmm. which will drive up. And then on the other side, what we are looking at is uh, retail or uh, institutional users who want to have access to the products. Mm-hmm. So we offer for the centralized limit order book exchanges, you know, maker vaults and so on, where uh, they they don't need to approach like a traditional market maker, pay a service fee and so on. Mm-hmm. So what they essentially have is the power of AI. And the reason why, for example, like uh, compared to say a big market maker, big is, is is that AI is a great leverer in that respect. Because what we need to do is write uh, a series of code. We don't need like say a fancy office. We don't need like say 25, 30 traders, you know, uh, you might see on like Wall Street or something where like everyone is glued to their terminal in like a big office. You have to pay for rent, you have to pay for all the salaries and all that. Instead, we try to replace that right. with say a few people, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sitting on their sweatshirts in <laughs> in like a house like or an apartment and just, you know, like uh, coding that away. So right. a barrier of entry is reduced a lot. And B, uh, the cost of doing that uh, business part, which is like, you know, trying to uh, engage all these people, that's also reduced a lot. 
And with that, the go-to-market for these exchanges is really fast. Mm-hmm. Like they can just start from this and they can go really quickly. Uh, they can just access this, mm-hmm. show this volume and show this liquidity. And with that liquidity, more buyers come in. So for them, they can just go from point A to point B really quickly. That's on the centralized limit order book exchanges side. On the user side, what we then offer is like two different products. One we call as a delta neutral lending vault where users go in, they stake, you know, tokens, uh, what they have, and they get like a, let's say like a certain interest rate. And this, at this interest, like they are able to like, you know, uh, get like say 5%, 6%, whatever it is. So they have like almost like sort of like a risk-free product. Of course, you know, you have contract risk and all that. That's one product what they have. And then the second product, what they have is an order book vault mm-hmm. where they get to directly connect to the AI engine without having uh, this. So in the previous product, uh, we borrow from that. That is by we, I mean the AI agents, they borrow from that and then they do the market making and then they repay back with collateral back. So it's that's why it's like a risk-free product. They just earn like a smaller interest rate. Or you have this other product where we call it the order book vault Mm -hmm. where they stake and they have to like, uh, you know, they have exposure to the risk. So it's more risky, but at the same time, they have like uh, more profit as well when it's trading. It's not as risky as just directly trading, but at the same time, it's not like as uh, risk averse and like, you know, just uh, generating like small yield like that. Mm -hmm. So those are the two products. So we have an order book vault and we have a lending vault for the regular users mm-hmm. and on the other side we have for the clubs what we offer is this full like a market making package where they are just coming in they get access to liquidity through these users mm-hmm. so we are sort of like connecting the two okay by we i mean the ai agents completely removing middleman layers projects and so on mm-hmm. uh it's pretty it's pretty amazing when you 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 mentioned who who are actually a few steps back? So you are looking to attract then who you mentioned institutional users and who by your definition would be regular users? Are these mainly just traders or who all can use who all can actually use use your products? So I would like to say everyone, but uh, the problem is, you know, with the regulation and, uh, you know, with the risk associated with that, mm-hmm. because there is a, like, like uh, for example, on the risky products, right? Mm-hmm. We would like to offer that to everyone. But then on the other hand, you know, some users may not, uh, you know, like everyone likes it when uh, things are profitable. But, you know, when you have like a slight drawdown, mm-hmm. they would then have like a, worry or issue and then they would like to immediately withdraw so in a sense like we would offer it to users who understand the risks involved on the order book vault Mm -hmm. the lending product we would like to open it uh, to you know institution users and other users Mm -hmm. what we want to do is like on the order book vault we will uh, you know any of the incentives which are coming from the exchanges because that's why we are not trying to be like a middleman or a gatekeeper. Like we, all we are, have is the AI part, which is like, you know, working on both sides programmatically. Mm-hmm. So it will stream any of the incentives from the limit order book exchanges. So whether it's airdrops, whether it's, uh, you know, their own tokens or whether the ecosystem where we are building, they have a token. Mm-hmm. So what you have is like, you know, you take some risk and then in return, uh, what you're getting is like some of these ecosystem tokens, points and so on. So this, means that they have like a 
a a completely new access to a risk reward profile which is different from say the standard uh, profile what is existing in other defi projects and b you get to be part of uh, you know an early part of these ecosystems and uh, these exchanges mm-hmm. which you cannot easily be like if you go and trade like say for 10 dollars 20 dollars 1000 dollars and so on you get access to some tokens but instead you can just you know stake here directly and get access to all of that mm-hmm. so that's what we're building and this is uh, yeah this some of the core products yeah it does um I'll let you catch your breath. I know that you have a <laughs> drink some water because you're doing a lot of explaining. And uh, thank you for that. It's 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 a complex topic. So it's it's uh, very uh, welcoming that you're doing uh, this this explanation. But yeah, like you said, uh, there is a lot of risk inherently involved in this. So that was sort of my what I was gearing at who who all could use this. And are you does this mean that you're approaching, I don't know, for example, just re- your regular institutional, uh, also just TradFi investment banks? Or is this more people who are currently just dedicated to DeFi? So initially, it will be dedicated to DeFi, or at least uh, users who understand the, you know, how DeFi works. So that'll be our first audience. And then as we scale, that's when we go to the global audience. But initially, it'll be DeFi retail users. But even the DeFi users, like when I call, when I say DeFi users, like they are not like you know uh, projects or someone. There's still like a lot of retail users and who are in DeFi. Mm-hmm. So it's attracting them. Mm-hmm. Then we attract institutional users as well. Mm-hmm. And also in parallel, we want to attract uh, the centralized limited order book exchanges. So our primary goal first is the exchanges, the projects. And then we go to traders and uh, then we go to uh, DeFi users and then we go to everyone. Yeah, that's like the scale. Of course. Yeah, that, that's like the end, uh, the the ultimate goal, which which of course makes sense. Vijay, um, what, I mean, throughout this, this entire journey, um, you're the driving machine throughout this entire project. What would you say has been your most difficult I'm sure you've encountered challenges, but what would you say was your most difficult challenge to overcome? Or have you been had a lot of challenges? Oh, <laughs> like they say, like every startup, right? Like, uh, <laughs> it's just like, uh, it's almost like you go like uh, challenge after challenge. It's uh, like a roller coaster. Like, some of them are brutal. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. Like uh, if I go through a list of uh, like, you know, some of the early investors, like the number of people who say no, or the number of people who are like, you know, don't believe in this or like, Mm -hmm. it's just a lot. But on the other hand, I must say like, there are also some of the investors and some of the users who are like, really interested and who feel like, you know, this will solve and so on. The biggest problem I would say is uh, time, time, building anything in AI takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. It's trial and error it's uh you know checking some of the things it's uh you know doing that and this has been one of my biggest challenges so uh, so far it's like mm-hmm. the speed to market is really important mm-hmm. but if you're when you're building in something like fundamentally new which changes everything like the architecture and all of that takes a lot of time mm-hmm. and so that has been like my biggest challenge mm-hmm. personally and also for the team everyone that's the first thing second thing is uh I would say the team itself, like it takes a lot of time to hire some other people. And uh, that's why like, you know, the AI part, I try to do most of it uh, as well, simply because uh, 
everyone puts uh, just just you know everyone puts ai on their cv and like they probably done like a udemy course or something like that and then they come in so it's really hard to find the right people mm-hmm. so that's why i made the decision like you know i will code most of it anyway on the ai side like my team also does uh, my team does most of the work on like you know the infrastructure the three part trying out the testing and so on and i have like an amazing uh, quantitative engineer as well like he, he does uh, mm-hmm. the data science part as well and so on so mm-hmm. it's the challenge the second major challenge is you know uh having the right people and uh, trying to have more and more right people so uh, yeah I, i don't have anything uh let, shall we say like different from other startups i guess so it's always time uh, people and uh, also the uh, you know people investing in you and the cost part of it like those are all like uh, some of the major challenges mm-hmm. the last part i would say the other major challenge is the complexity of the uh, product we tried to simplify it and that's something we learned over a few over the last few months or uh, so on like mm-hmm. trying to make sure that the message is simple so that users can go in there and understand what we are building and then stay can do that which means that we had to actually simplify some of our uh, complex algorithms mm-hmm. so that it fits mm-hmm. yeah uh, those are the major challenges but yeah always uh, you know you have you know it's a question of time and with the time it's a question of the cost involved and yeah that's that's been a major challenge um well i can imagine um it's uh, well you've had sort of the psychological factor of 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 comfort the fact that you've had um interest in uh, first hand with the hackathon right you were approached as as far as i understand so it's it's almost like you know what they say when you have a room of 100 people it only takes one <laughs> for to you know that believes in you that for, for you to 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 keep going it's never easy and then once you have that and you have backing and of course if you have an, an investors that's uh, makes things a lot easier then of course ironically even though it's ai you definitely need the people to to set it up and also the right people which um i can imagine has it can be very challenging let us i th- i think we've we've covered a lot of the technicals uh i hope that i asked and actually you did a, a fantastic job in explaining everything and like you said yes it makes it better for in order to to understand what you're doing it's then it's better to take a few steps back and just go step by step in explaining so that's sort of what our aim is also with this podcast in trying to just verbalize everything and in in simpler concepts even though it's still a very very complex project with with the mention of of your ai component and this is a very also futuristic way of of doing arbitrage and trading etc so you must be looking in the future like what do you expect it to look like 10 years or f- maybe even 5 years from now because everything is evolving so fast and so exponentially although time is 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 an issue but it's still everything is just going so fast there's so many projects that, you know like you said there's a, there's so many people working in, in in defi sort of maybe tackling one thing in a different in different ways how do you see it defi evolving within the next maybe 5 years sort of the general landscape and in where vcred may fit in and you because you must have this in mind right sort of your long term vision so 
if you look at it maybe we should first start by painting a landscape of how the world in 2030s would look like and uh, sure. these always by the way these are predictions are always like you know uh, hit and a miss like sometimes they actually are way more crazier than how we expect and <laughs> sometimes they are like you know uh, oh Uh, like someone in the 1920s expected us to be in flying cars but what did flying cars yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like in the 80s with uh, back to the future right <laughs> exactly so but, but on the other hand like you know if it is on a shorter time scale right like over 5 to 10 years like that's a little bit more easier mm-hmm. so that's why like 2030s would be like a good point and that's also like more realistic in terms of like where we would be at mm-hmm. so if you look at the landscape like i read several provocative research articles from uh, harvard and from some of the others like what they were saying and it also makes sense like what you would have is um, what is the expectation which is already there mm-hmm. just like people expect like 24 by 7 like perfect decision like they don't want to like uh, wait uh, you know 8 to 5 so this goes back to like how in the past like you would go you have like a fixed time where you go to like say a bank uh, 8 to 5 in the then you withdraw and then the rest of the time you don't have cash like we come from that analog uh, like you know in that from that analog world all the way now like there is a 24 by 7 expectation of a uh, digital access to you know the like whatever is in your balance and so on so what you will ha- like to what what is the necessity so what we need is like cutting edge uh, consumer apps which run at zero nearly at zero cost that's what users will expect what users will expect is they just go out there they use these ai agents which will become much more prevalent and they just want to go make a decision like uh, i have this particular asset which i want to uh, you know stake here i have this which needs to be done like this and so on and they will not expect any kind of like a middleman or any kind of like say an interface everything should be seamlessly interactive and it's just some way of almost like you know using whether it's uh, social media or whether it's any of that they just expect to like you know quickly share the information and then someone else sees that they goes there and so on so if you notice in this like they are not actually interested to know you know whether the settlement is happening in let's say which layer one it's happening like whether it's avalanche and so on or if they're using a decentralized or a centralized version like you know are they actually using a blockchain or are they actually using like an app they won't even i mean the by they i mean the consumers right like in the future they just use it like uh, when you use for example your phone you don't you don't even think like you know that you have to go select a uh, service provider you have to use this isp and all that right. but once you have done that at a one time uh, installation you don't think about it you don't think about it and that's how the users in the future would be like they won't think about it all they do is like you know take the phone or uh, you know do some of these things and maybe at that time uh, it's so advanced like you're just giving like a uh, sort of like information like this and it happens mm-hmm. so this is sort of like what the financial consumer in the future uh, expects and so when i was like reading this article and uh, this was like around like 2021 2022 i was like thinking like this this is where we should be like this is what we should try to do like we could have used our uh, technical like when I, when I, when we're building the initial team and we're doing that we could have actually built like a layer one uh, or like we could have you know focused on some other infrastructure project but we thought like you know ai is so transformative and we do have the expertise like i have uh, so many years of experience and also my team members also like they have infrastructure experience so we should use that to build it and that was our primary vision like uh, to look at the financial consumers of the future 
what they actually need. Mm-hmm. And if they need 24 by 7 access with zero, almost like negligible cost, uh, executing any asset anywhere based on any information what they're getting and then just, you know, do that. Like that will that'll just simply transform it. Like look at how right now, if you go, if you want to like say, buy something, uh, you know, some token somewhere or, you know, get, uh, you know, you want to stake somewhere and get access to an interest uh, or in uh, uh, like a return, you have to do so much research, uh, so much analysis, and then try to understand what each protocol does and then go out there. All those would be abstracted away. In a sense, what you would have is like a decentralized portfolio manager. That's what everyone would have on their phone. And all you do is like, I have $1,000. This this is my risk profile. This, this is how much I expect to earn. What should I do? That's the question. And then they expect like a honest answer on the other end from the AI agent. And then based on the agent, they then go execute and then they just carry on with their lives. Do you think that there, there would be a higher level of skepticism as we go along? Or... You know, because there has to be a level, a certain level of trust, you know, like you, you painted the picture with the phone, you know, you, you grab your phone, you, you, you start it, but you know, in the back, some, some, some of us, you know, in the back of our minds, we still think, okay, they're collecting all our data. They, they want it. There's, there's no privacy, da, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that has anything to do with what you're trying to maybe the level of skepticism of what you're trying to build here? Or is that something that you don't think about? So that is also the key part. And that's why we are building it as a decentralized Web3 solution. Mm -hmm. Because in a sense, we could have just, you know, with all the data we collect from, uh, let's say, um, all the blockchain data, what we have collected, we could use that to build like a simple centralized solution where the agent then interacts and then uh, there is no... The users then, instead of staking into like a contract, they just put somewhere else. But that is not the solution, right? That's what in 2030, for example, you would have, uh, obviously you would have like decentralized or centralized. But what I mean is like, it'll be so abstracted away that uh, users then make a choice and they don't see like a big drop in uh, user experience when they use like a decentralized application. Right. And they they would know that, okay, mm-hmm. in this case, my data is important, but some users will be willing to say that, okay, they use the data to make some uh, cool predictions. So yeah, let them go ahead and use the data. So it's more like a conscious decision from them. And for that data, they get like more uh, profitable uh, or more excellent detections and which are then profitable. But maybe on the other hand, some users value their privacy more and they do not want this information out there. And they just simply provide like basic information and then you get like basic results uh, on top of that. So it's sort of more like a spectrum of uh, privacy mm-hmm. because uh, bear in mind that if you want like complete privacy, right? Like then you have zero information and based on the zero information, you will not be able to make like predictions and you will not be able to do some other thing. At the same time, if you share everything, right? Maybe we don't even need all that information. So we need only some of it. So that's how the AI agents in the future would be. And this is quite scary in uh, in actually in another way, in the sense like this will make uh, not just uh, traders and so on, but also like uh, some of the 
other white collar jobs let's say like this will reduce actually the need for having these kind of uh, fancy offices with investment banks so when we go further and further in that line like there'll be like a merge and when it merges like that you don't need uh, so much persons but on the other hand this will increase the value for uh, users so it sort of levels the playing field yeah um i like the way you painted that picture um I think that also the first the first thing is that, um, like you said, the scary part is that it's going to take away uh, some of the white collar jobs. But you know, having that fear, sure, on one hand, but um, there has to be value creation on the other hand. So yeah, Vijay, uh, this has been uh, quite an exhilarating uh, ride <laughs> with with what you've presented and and our talk. I'm just trying to think back. Is there anything that I have not asked that uh, you would want to add or or perhaps are there any key takeaways that I haven't asked about maybe that I have missed in our conversation? So not that you missed, but more like, uh, you know, to summarize uh, what we are trying to do is something innovative mm-hmm. in uh, using AI in DeFi and uh, trying to build like a, a whole application layer and uh, with that what we hope is to disrupt and bring this vision closer like what we have in 2030s where we are actually the ai agents and uh you know we are part of like the major ai agent and like you said if everyone starts using it like one of uh, what you said before like in the conversation actually if everyone starts using it then uh we become sort of like uh, one of the major players out there and that's what we hope to be and mm-hmm. it's like i said also in the challenges um it's a long journey always with ai projects but uh, in return what you have is like fundamental uh, differences in uh, mm-hmm. in the way like for example open ai everyone looks at it now but it's started in 2014 right so mm, <laughs> that, right. that that is right. the thing like uh, you have these kind of uh, asynchronous uh, returns yeah mhm well you You've kindly shared your vision uh, or the landscape that the way you you see 2030 or also what what some of these provocative articles that you've read have have talked about. So you touched upon the long-term vision. So what's in store for Vcred's short-term roadmap? So the short-term roadmap is this quarter uh, we have integrated with one of the clubs. Mm-hmm. We are going to integrate with uh, uh, several more uh, perpetual exchanges and then uh, we want to make sure that um, we integrate with several more and start scaling so quarter 1 that is this quarter we want to make sure that we are ready for a launch and this will be more like a, a launch of our product so it's not like a big bang launch because we already like sort of done the beta testing and sort of uh, doing all that smaller launches and this sort of uh, keeps going on and then as we go further along this year what we want to do is have eventually have uh, some more access to uh, newer products and tokens and so on and finally uh, at the end of the year we will go towards the next version as well but this will be like uh, the major version where we have uh, all the ai liquidity layer aspects covered and so that users can go in already start you know staking into our vaults getting access to all the incredible tools what the ai product layer offers Awesome. Well, Vijay, uh thanks so much for taking us on this DeFi AI 
uh, journey. It's it's another angle that um, I personally enjoyed exploring, although admittedly, uh, admittedly complex. Um, but you definitely managed to bring it closer for for me to understand, and and hopefully also our audience. I honestly wish you and your team all the best um, with VCred and and really look forward to hearing about your evolution and your progress. Just wanted to to add, um, what is the best way to follow your work or, or perhaps contact uh, your team and, of course, participate? So you can follow us on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, the Twitter uh, handle, uh, and also you can follow us on Discord, where we have, uh, you know, announcements in our channel okay. and so on. And uh the other way is like also to you know participate when we are doing beta testing and when we are doing like our rollouts when we are charting our early launch you know have a look at uh, what we are doing either you know participate either as a developer who is trying to integrate or mm-hmm. you know participate in the clubs and so on yeah so those are all the various mechanisms you can you know contribute to us and also you can follow us directly yeah perfect uh, we will include uh, what you just mentioned the contacts in our show notes so with, with that in mind, thanks so much. That's it for me from, from my end, from our end. Thanks so much. And uh, like I said, best of luck. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it and happy to be a part of this. Thanks so much, Vijay. Thanks again to our guests and thank you everyone for listening. Thanks also to the Bariam Music team for providing their music. You can check them out on bariammusic.com. The episode supporting information is on our website, blockchainrecorded.com. Our podcast is available on Google, Apple, and Amazon Podcasts, as well as on YouTube, Spotify, and Radio Public. You can follow us on Twitter at Recorded Podcast and YouTube, where we are super grateful for your support. Stay tuned for our next episode. 